Hello, you're listening to No Such Word as Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice, as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. I would like to take one minute to welcome Jordan Beasley to my podcast. Hello, Jordan. Welcome. Hi, how's it going? Happy to be here. Oh, I am so excited to have you and have you share all of your experience and knowledge and passion uh, with all of my listeners today. Um, so for anyone who might not know who you are, can you please give them a very quick summary? Well, just quickly, I feel like no one knows my full name. I think most people that do know me know me as Jungle Jordan. That is uh, my social media presence. Um, what I do is I am a zookeeper and wildlife educator. And my whole goal is, uh, you know, working with animals and getting more people involved with animals and respecting wildlife. And I love it. I use social media. <laughs> yes, I love everything that you do. I love your, that's why I use the word passion. You are so passionate about the animals, about conservation, about education and about making others just as passionate as you are. But you've said that you've been working with animals specifically in the zoo field from a very young age. So tell everyone how you got started. Sure. Um, it goes all the way back to when I was a, a pretty young kid. You know, I was always, you know, obsessed with animals, you know, watching uh, bald eagles in my backyard, like a, a, a nesting pair of bald eagles would fly um, every single year and have their babies and they would they would land in the trees right behind my house it was super cool to, to watch the babies get older and they would come back every single year so so cool to see that you know like free willy so i know you're a you know you're yeah. a whale you're an orca, I was, orca fan I, that was my I, inspiration <laughs> <laughs> right so free willy was one of mine like i even thought about becoming a marine mammal trainer at some point but i quickly decided I didn't really want to be in the water. Okay, <laughs> I, I yeah. can swim, but I, <laughs> I, it just wasn't my thing, right? So mm -hmm. anyways, um, so I grew up in an, in an area, an inner city area where, you know, it wasn't like the quote unquote cool thing to like animals, right? So for that point, I was already, you know, seen as kind of different. But besides that, I grew up with anger management problems mm -hmm. and ADHD, so, you know, kids thought it was funny to like bully me for multiple different reasons to, 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 to try to tease me to see how angry I would get, mm. like how quickly the anger would come. But with me, I wasn't going to get bullied. I fought back. So that led to a lot of suspensions being expelled from a couple, couple schools, like three different schools, I think. I'm not proud of that, but, you know, I did happen. Um, so my mom was trying to figure out ways to, to you know, to figure out what could be an outlet for me uh we went to the zoo a lot as a kid i was that five-year-old walking in front of zoo exhibits talking to strangers and telling them animal facts at five years it. old just like you know <laughs> like hey did you know a hippo can hold the breath for only three to five minutes so i'm like you know random stuff like that and my mom said okay he's happiest when he's at the zoo hmm. i was always a happy kid so let's see if we can get him involved she reached out to the zoo when i was about 11 years old um, and she asked if they had volunteer opportunities. They said no. Um, but, you know, they they talked about it for back and forth for a little bit. And then 
I met some of the keepers there and they said, you know what, let him do it. We'll chaperone him. So I was accepted as a volunteer at 11 years old at a zoo in the family farm area. So yeah, I was, I've been around this world since then. And I would say after that first summer, I no longer got um, suspended from schools. And I didn't learn until recently that basically animals kind of, you know, saved my my life, basically, you know, like, because I feel like I would have just kept getting the fights and all kinds of stuff. Do you think that it was so, being yeah. either having something to focus your energy on or just being around, you know, the energy of animals I always find very calming? Do you think that had an effect? I think it was definitely being around the energy of the animals. You know, I'm not like really like, you know, the energy guy. I'm not like a, you know, like, you know, crystals and all that stuff. I'm not, that's not <laughs> my, uh, you know, I don't think about, think about that kind of stuff, but I do feel as though I felt that animals were seen differently. And I felt like that. I felt like mm-hmm. people looked at me like I was odd and weird and everything. And I didn't really care, but I felt different and I felt kind of isolated. Mm-hmm. And so I felt the animals gave me a sense of relaxation they I don't know I just felt you know like we were the same yeah since they can't speak I've I've kind of felt like I should do the speaking for them so they can get more Mm -hmm. understood I love that yeah that's that's something that's incredibly important so you started there when you were 11 which is you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of insane you were so young you definitely (laughs) it doesn't happen right no like you definitely grew up in the zoological industry so was there ever a moment when you got a little bit older where you thought actually I want to do something different or were you always set in your career path well so back when I was a really young kid it was always actually a dream of mine which was kind of a joke at the time it was always a dream to like have a tv show (laughs) to like you know go out there and like film animals and study animals in the wild that was always Mm. my dream and then I mean it's a fantastic job right right but then it became more apparent that oh you know a real job quote-unquote real job would be working with animals uh easier in a closer setting over here in the U.S. right Mm. Um, so that's why I, be, I was like, you know what, zookeeping, that's what I want to do. And now fast forward a little bit as I'm, you know, in the field a little, little bit longer, I have noticed some things in the field that, you know, with the animals that they needed help. And that's when I decided to mm. put more of a voice on social media. Mm. And that, that is my TV, you know, like, yeah. you know, I don't need to have a TV show. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I'm able to reach people, um, with, with my outlets, you know, especially, especially now, like, you know, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, all that stuff, Facebook, everything, all those apps, there's so many different, you know, groups of people that I can reach. And um, a bigger thing for me, there was a little bit more of an issue um, involving, you know, diversity in, in animal care. I, I always still felt kind of isolated in that sense as well in the zoo field. And I wanted to change that. And just because of a couple of instances that, that happened to me and stuff that I saw at the zoo, and I decided to, you know, I'm going to be more of a, more of an image to be more of a role model for people that, you know, look different, you know, that, that aren't, you know, the, the average, you know, human being. No, so. I think, I think that's fantastic. And I think it's very admirable of you to do that because we all know 
the importance of young children being able to look up to people who look like them and they right. feel represented and then it allows them to feel like you know what I can do that that is something that might be in the cards for me too uh, so I think that that is absolutely fantastic um, and when you got your first zoo job mm-hmm. was that at the same zoo that you had worked at for so long or did you, just um, like, you know what? let's go somewhere mm-hmm. else now my first my first zookeeper job and my first zoo job, because in theory, my first zoo job wasn't zookeeper. It was like um, almost like a zoological aide or like a step below a zookeeper kind of a position mm-hmm. where you you assist with, you know, daily duties. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in charge of like um, specific feeding, like animal feedings around the zoo, yeah. like a giraffe feeding experience mm-hmm. or elephant feeding experience, that kind of stuff. Like I was kind of like, you know, the person that would man the line, mm. um, clean up after the animals when they left the feeding platform area, stuff like that. I used to have a, um, I, it was, especially in the summertime. So in the summertime, it get really hot and people would be standing in line for a long time and they would be, you know, getting upset. So what I would do is I would kind of have this little, I had this little, uh, like a comedy routine that I would just like, I would just go through the line and just like, make jokes, talk about animals, you know, make fun of people in a nice way, almost like a comedian. <laughs> but <laughs> people, people enjoyed my lines. Um, my first zoo job, though, uh, was at a different zoo. Like my first, my first zookeeper job was at a mm-hmm. different zoo. Um, unlike, I was very lucky, I'll just say this. I didn't have to leave my home state. I know a lot of zookeepers, to get their first job, they have to go away from where their home base is. Mm-hmm. I was lucky. All my zoo jobs have been right here in the state of Washington. Amazing. I feel like that definitely doesn't happen to a lot of people. Did that happen because it just timing reasons or did you really want to stay in Washington? I didn't want to leave just yet um, because my mom, my, not my now wife, she's my wife now, but at the time I, I felt, um, you know, she was my girlfriend and I didn't really want to like leave her. Yeah. So I didn't want to just up and move. And I, you know, we didn't, neither of us had jobs. I could just like support a big mm. move mm-hmm. of any kind. So I just, I just looked around, you know, this state and I luckily I made connections and the more I was in the field, uh, the more I was around the States, like, you know, I'm connected with people and, you know, I did get lucky. It was about luck of timing for sure about you know different positions yeah I think for anyone and working multiple jobs yeah Yeah. for sure (laughs) I worked three jobs (laughs) yeah it's definitely not easy you know I think even for some people who think oh so and so had an easy path to getting into the field meaning you know they went from volunteering to interning to getting a position you know if you look at it, it can seem easy for some people but you don't see what goes into it in the background of like you said working all the hours that God sends to save up enough money to do, you know, your volunteering or your interning. And then it absolutely is a lot of timing about when you apply. Um, You spoke a little bit there about your connections. Can you talk a little bit about why you think networking is so important? Networking with other professionals. You know, I say say connections back then, but I didn't really have any really, I mean, I had a couple, like I just, (laughs) would introduce myself to people but that's how I you have do it more connections now of 
course. <laughs> but, but, you know, but this that's years, right? But connect, connections are, networking is so important in this field because it's already a small field as it mm-hmm. is. We're a very um, unique group of professionals, very small group of professionals. And, sh- you know, sharing knowledge with one another about the animals is very important to their care mm. um just just spreading ideas and you know and it's really good um and it's you know just the other day somebody reached out to me asked me about a specific zoo that they thought I worked at but I didn't work at but just oh. because I've showed them on my social media page they yeah. assumed I worked there and they said hey do you have any connections there that I can mm. reach out to somebody for an email for I'm applying for a job blah 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 and you know it it can help um, I don't want to like, I'm not going to say any names, but that person did end up getting the job, not because of me, because that person had obviously all the qualifications, but I think it just helps when you, you know, link with, with, with others. Um, yeah. You just have to it just, ask. It just, right. Exactly. Yeah. I always say, you know, there's no harm in asking as long as you remain polite and professional. There is no yes. harm in sending that email. There is no harm in, you know, sending that message. But tell us a little bit about the animals that you work with right now. Oh, goodness. Well, my position is very odd currently because I'm kind of an all over the place person. I'm not just a zookeeper at my current job. Um, I, I'm also the marketing guy. So I do the social media for the zoo. Um, I'm also in the education department where I do outreach and go to schools and things. Um, but the current animals we work with are tigers, cougars, lemurs, um, reindeer, uh, wolves, um, wallabies, alpaca, mostly, mostly mammals. I'm a mostly mm-hmm. mammal guy. Um, and it's kind of, again, since I help out everywhere, I'm kind of all over. Sometimes I'll help with the birds, like with the macaws and, um, you know, that's, that's mostly what it, you know, I'm, but to my background is also kind of all over the place but specifically i am a mammal guy with you know appreciation for reptiles and birds but i would never consider myself a bird keeper (laughs) they definitely you know i think reptiles mammals birds they definitely have very distinct differences and even even within species you know i talk about it with dolphins even compared to killer whales and you know, your own certain personality or character traits can determine whether or not you're really going to gel with a certain species. So yep. have you gelled with any certain species? That's funny you say that because I actually had this plan to make a funny video and I've had this plan for years and I've never made the video, but like to, to talk about the different characteristics of uh, the staff that work with very specific animals and they are kind of like the same kind of person. I love like, that idea. It's, I, I'm going to do that eventually uh, at some point. I doubt it. I feel like I gelled with, well, there was always this joke because I worked with giraffes and I was always a tall zookeeper. So they said, <laughs> oh, you work with giraffes because you're so tall. Yeah, oh, okay. Um, but I feel like I kind of mesh well with, gosh, everybody. I don't like, I, I get, I like small mammals, surprisingly, like otters. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big river otter guy, North American river otter. I'm mm-hmm. a big North American river otter guy um, because I'm full of, I'm an extrovert. I'm a very social person. I'm very outgoing. And I feel like 
a lot of energy. And I feel like otters have that. They're just always constantly moving. And then, but then I'm also, you know, big into working with, you know, the, the large, you know, large carnivores, you know, big, you know, I like, I like the bears. I like the, like the wolves, like the, like the big cats, the tigers, you know, and that's, I don't have, I would say I don't have that, that I'm strong, big and strong mentality, like some carnivore keepers out there. Um, like that, that sense of control. I don't really do that. I have more of a, I feel like I have the personality of a hoofstock keeper kind of, okay. you know, with, well, not really. Cause I feel like then that means I'll be with a herd. I kind of do my own thing. I would say <laughs> I definitely otter. Okay, I'm done. I'm going on a tangent. <laughs> no, but I understand what you mean. And I think I've spoken about it a million times now, but ego, you know, ego comes into it a lot, you know, when people work with animals, especially when they think about working with animals for, you know, some sort of distinction, you know, working with the big animals or the carnivores or the big predators, you know, you do often, like you said, you know, carnivore keepers, I've no, I don't know that many of them, but I know a lot of killer rail trainers, um, you know, and a lot, of, yeah. a lot of those people do bring their ego into the job. And when you're working with animals, you gotta yep. leave your ego at the door. Like you don't matter. The animals matter. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But did you or do you find any challenges with adapting yourself to work with so many different species? Um, I, I, I come in, I go in with a with an open mind. I don't go in automatically assuming I know everything about that animal because I mm. don't, um, you know, I, I don't. But I go in with a calm nature with every single animal that I've that I've worked with. I go in with a sense of, hey, this animal deserves my respect. You know, I, I haven't, you know, surprisingly, I'm the kind of guy, so with my ADHD, I've always lacked um, patience. But when it comes to animals, I don't lack the patience. It's really odd. Um, but it's actually not tested. that uncommon. I, I, have, I have the same thing with my patients. Yeah. No patients for humans, all the patients in the world for animals. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> how it is. I, I, you know, okay, here's the thing. I love talking to people about animals, right? I love that. But I definitely have found that I have short temper when it comes to people. You know, I just, I love them. I love, I love them, but they know how to, you know, get well, on you that get, last nerve. <laughs> you get a lot of different types of people that visit zoos. You know, you get lots right. of people who think that, you know, they have all the access in the world to the animals and right. you're the one that has to remain professional and, you right. know, you know, it can be difficult. You no, know, I think, I think uh, with, with the, with the, um, as far as the, you know, the, the challenges going with, with the new species of animals. I feel like um, the only time I have like, <laughs> like big challenges are with animals, you know, I've never, that, like I said, that I've never really worked with before. So I don't really mm -hmm. know what to do. So what I rely on are my coworkers mm -hmm. for them to show me how to work with the animal and, and to, to look at their expertise and, and talk to the people that have, that have had way more experience than I have. You know, because I'm not the most experienced person out there. There's people with 20 plus years of experience out there, you know, in, in working with specific animals. And so I just pick their brain and, 
you know, I kind of watch what they do. And I think a good thing for, for zookeepers to have is that, you know, relaxed, calm nature. But like when you're around a big, a big cat, for instance, like you don't go in there timid because if, if you go in there with that idea, like, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, really frightened right now, the animals pick up on that. And I feel like if you carry yourself like, hey, I, I understand I've had a lot of experience with large carnivores. I need to carry myself calmly and collected, you know, because the animals will see that and they say, okay, he's relaxed. I can be relaxed around him mm. or her or them. Yeah. Sorry. A quiet confidence. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, you know, obviously animals are, such a huge passion of yours and you've spoken a little bit more about your passion for education we'll get to social media in a minute but you also mentioned you worked uh in your current position on education and setting up things with schools what's that like um so that was actually the reason why i took this job um was because i wanted to i wanted to be able to talk more (laughs) because i feel like at my you know, previous facility, you know, it was good that they, that they liked that I, that I talked to guests. They liked that, but you know, that wasn't my job. It wasn't my job to always mm. talk to guests. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I, I wanted to get out there more and be able to make more of the connection with, uh, with the animals to the people. Um, so with that, you know, we haven't gone to actually gone to a school since right before the pandemic started last time we went out to a school it was like 2019 mm-hmm. um with an animal um with with an animal i have gone outreaches are finally coming back i just went to a science fair and that was fun with some uh, biofacts and things and it was that was really enjoyable to see the kids light up and it's always so funny to see and to hear about how much more the animal or the, the, the kids know about animals compared to adults? Mm. The kids are so smart and they absorb everything and they remember everything. <laughs> so I enjoy that part of it to see them. I feel like they get a better um, understanding of the animals and of wildlife when they can see it right in front of them. Oh, I completely you know, agree. And, yeah. I, I think it's great as well. You're saying that you were taking animals, you know, into the schools because there's so many children that just don't have the resources or the privilege to be able to go to even a local zoo. Um, you know, never mind traveling to go to some of the larger, you know, zoos to see different species. So what has it been like for you to to be able to share that with children that might not have otherwise had that opportunity? Um, well, specifically like from uh, from my from my personal stuff, um, trying to visit schools that most zoos don't visit, you know, like mm. um, I feel like uh, especially that one of my former zoos, they wouldn't really go to, you know, the the the, the lower income schools, mm. um, schools that basically schools that couldn't basically afford a a zoo visit. Like you know, like I try to go there because there's you know they don't get a chance to come to the zoo and, and see all the animals, but they like them. You know, like, yeah. like when I was growing up, kids, kids used to call me, you know, weird for liking animals and the, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then 
fast forward, those same kids as adults always telling me, the ones that used to tease me, girl, like, oh, Jordan, what you do with animals is so cool. I've always liked animals. I just didn't know it was something you could do. You know, that, that's what they would say. Mm-hmm. And they teased me because they thought it was, they thought I was different for pursuing that mm-hmm. because they didn't think they were supposed to be able to like animals, right? So that's my purpose to go to those types of schools, especially to give them more of that view of 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 wildlife um so they can appreciate it because i feel like that is a thing it's hard to find an individual that's flat out just doesn't like animals that's you know it's like almost i wouldn't trust them (laughs) right (laughs) "Mm, what's wrong with you not even one type of animal you know you get people that don't like mammals but are obsessed with reptiles i'm like you do you that's your thing great right but, you know, I think it's great <laughs> right. that you you give those schools the opportunity because, you know, the lower income schools arguably are the ones that need it the most. You know, they're the ones that don't have the privilege yeah. of being able to go to zoos or being able to travel or have those opportunities. Um, so I think that that is incredibly worthwhile. Um, and also, you know, obviously now with the expansion of social media, you know, most people have access um, to that and you're expanding your reach even further. Okay, yeah, with, with social media, I I felt like I had to change up a bit, right? From because it's the new way of reaching people. You know, like it it's it's easier. It's it's so people have access all over the world to their their smartphones, their tablets, their computers, whatever. They it's just much easier to connect with people. And I found that, you know, I like to be funny. I like to be, you know, you know, I like to have fun. And so I feel like that shows a lot with social media. I feel like people go to social media to be entertained, right? So I like to give people a fun, positive way of learning. I love that. Because also, you know, for some people who, you know, maybe don't have a great attention span, if they can just flick through a few videos, you know, it, it keeps them engaged and keeps them entertained. And you have a lot of different forms of social media, you know, you have long format, you have your YouTube, you know, you have reels on Instagram. So you do have a little bit, you know, for everyone. But how do you find the time? Everyone asks me that. Question, <laughs> how do you? Maybe I can learn from you. How do you find the time? <laughs> Sorry, I laughed because I don't. Then let's let let's let's uh, wrangle myself in here real quick, just a little bit, a little bit more of a serious uh, conversation. I have definitely pushed myself to the edge on multiple occasions. I have had I had I experienced a, a panic attack for the first time in my life a couple two years ago. Mm. Um, I you know I felt depression. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to, okay. (laughs) How do I say this? Right. Like I'm not, I love what I do. Right. But I definitely was pushing myself a little too hard and it's not good mentally to try to overwork yourself because I'm the kind of person that I was stressing out because I felt like a people were relying on me B I'm not doing enough to help the world see you know i'm not 
reaching enough people and not because I'm not seeing any change. I don't know why, but like, like I, I, I don't know how this, I hope this doesn't come off, come across as like, you know, you know, weird or anything, but I, I feel as though my voice should matter, but I felt like it's not mattering. It's a lot of anybody. pressure to put on yourself. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Well that, you know, that's kind of what I do to myself. You know, I, I kind of took a turn with your question. I'm sorry, but it's, it's how I've dealt with things. I have more balance now. Mm. I definitely do. Um, but like you said, I don't really have time. You know, I, I kind of, I make time like literally seven days a week. I'm doing something. Um, you know, I work, I got my, you know, my job, um, you know, the full-time job. And then, you know, the other, the days off, you know, I, I'm either with my wife or I'm doing jungle Jordan stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because I, I want to make a change. That's how, that's how important it is to me. Yeah. But yes, I enjoy it, but I want to make it so people care. And, you know, no matter how many positive things happen, I still always have this feeling in the back of my head that's not enough. And then I have to have conversations with myself. Go ahead. No, I mean, there's, there is a lot of pressure because this is a topic, like you said, the animals don't have voices. So you want to be a voice for the animals. And I understand how frustrating it can be when either people are not seeing the bigger picture or people aren't fully understanding, or like you said, you just feel like you aren't reaching a big enough audience to get them to really understand the importance right. of protecting these species and conserving them. And it's easy to get lost and wrapped up in that because it means so much to us. You know, we're yeah. so passionate about it. We want everyone else to be just as passionate as we are. How did you, and I'm really sorry to hear, you know, that you started struggling mentally. Um, I know I myself have struggled with similar issues and I know a lot of other trainers and keepers who do as well. Compassion fatigue, burnout, anxiety, (laughs) depression. Um, And a lot of it is because we are so wrapped up in our jobs because it's so much of who we are and we put so much of ourselves into it. Um, How did you manage to make a start in unraveling that and start to kind of put yourself first for a little while. I put myself around positive people and, uh, you know, uh, people that can help, you know, like I, cause I'm the kind of person that I hold, I don't talk. I didn't used to talk about my feelings. I would never, I would never share it. Like, I don't want to put that burden on anybody else. Quote unquote burden. It's not a burden, but like, I would never in my head, I felt like I was burdening others, you know, and, but my, my wife was a big factor in, in helping me out and helping me manage my time. Cause mm-hmm. I had, when it came to working with animals, I had great time management skills, but when it came to my life, it was awful. Like, uh, you know, I wouldn't, cause I think also the fact that I probably might need medication because I have, so with my 80, <laughs> no, honestly, there's nothing with wrong my, with medication. <laughs> no, no, nothing wrong with that. No, with my, with my ADHD, right. Like I am constantly thinking about multiple things at the same time i will start a project then just out of nowhere oh wait a minute i didn't do my laundry or or i didn't uh i didn't send this picture to so-and-so like i'll like i'll jump to the next thing without even finishing or Mm. coming close to finishing or even starting the last thing i just worked on not procrastination but literally jumping back from task to task i'll be in the Mm. middle of editing editing a video 
then like, oh, wait a minute, I need to send this email to so-and-so, right? And I'll just, it just goes like that. It cascades. Mm -hmm. But my wife helped me with planning and scheduling, writing down the tasks and limiting, limiting, limiting yourself for that day to those specific tasks of that day. Mm. And don't overload the tasks because things will get done. It's just take your time doing them. So uh, having a schedule and being around people that support me was, was what I needed. I think that's really, really good advice. And I'm sure some of our, our listeners experience the exact same and are struggling with the same issues. Have you, through opening your social media, have you experienced much backlash or negativity? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> so, okay. So I think you may know what when I first started YouTube or, you know, YouTube, social media, whatever. When I first started, I was making videos specifically for zookeepers. I was making, you know, how to become a zookeeper type videos and, you know, like what we deal with. I made a video about compassion fatigue mm -hmm. um, and I would talk, you know, I, uh, I would make fun. I would make skits making fun of visitors to zoos, but like lighthearted, you know, and but now I can't really I mean, I, I might bring those videos back because I realize people are OK with that. But I stopped making those videos because I got more of a, you know, a wider range of audience and not just zookeepers. Right. Mm. Um, but with that, I, I've always had a very positive channel, very positive areas. Um, I have noticed though on my Facebook account, there's a little bit of an older demographic over there on my Facebook account. And I'm getting, I get very, um, I get a lot of people with very strong opinions. Um, and, uh, you know, every now and then very rarely will I get a animal shouldn't be in zoos. Like, why are you following me? You're following a zookeeper. Why are you following mm. this page? If that's how you feel, right? So what I do is I try to explain that whole conversation and I go down the rabbit hole. And But then I can't do that with every single person individually in the comment section. Yep. And then if they just start roasting me, which they don't, that doesn't happen often. If they do, I recently discovered the block button. It's my best friend. <laughs> I wasn't always, I wasn't always a block guy because I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that people understood, mm. but there are a lot of hard-headed people that don't want to hear you. So block has become my second best friend. Um, yeah. You have to protect yeah. your own sanity and your exactly. own peace. You, otherwise you'll be too burnt out and anxious yes. and a nervous wreck to be able to talk to the people who are open-minded. Um, I, it makes me so happy that you haven't experienced too much negativity. Uh, I myself definitely have. There's definitely a big stereotype, or I think hypocrisy, when it comes to that divide between traditional zoos and right. marine life. You know, yes. I think a lot of the media portrayal has to do with that. But people on social media, if they see a video of a dolphin in a marine park, the 90% of the comments are going to be that animal shouldn't be there and on the negative side. But if they see yeah. a video of a baby orangutan being adorable in a zoo, 90% of the comments are going to be, oh my God, how cute. So right. what do right. you think about that divide? Oof. Oof. Now specifically about the Marine world, because <laughs> that those people are, they, I, here's the thing with that. I feel like you see that, also with like in the zoo world with like an elephant right mm, Ele mm -hmm. people are very passionate 
about large creatures, mm -hmm. specifically large intelligent creatures. And they feel as though, you know, since they don't really know the type of care that these animals receive, they just automatically assume, oh, that should be animals should be animals should be let you know let free mm -hmm. or taken to a quote unquote sanctuary because people hear the term sanctuary. That word has positive meaning behind it. Like it like in their heads, it's it sounds like oh, it's sanctuary. It's like freedom, blah blah. It's an but emotionally hear, exactly word. It, right. it portrays a view of you know, peace and tranquility and exactly. saving something. And inherently right. as humans, if we love the animals, we want to save them. So, yeah. Right, exactly. So like with the term zoo now has be like the term zoo has become a negative term for a lot of people because they they in, they envision um, animals with bars, like straight up mm. metal bars, small box cages. Mm -hmm. That's what they picture. They picture us going out there and just snagging a giraffe and throwing it in the zoo for entertainment mm -hmm. you know once upon a time a lot of zoo some zoos got their start that way mm -hmm. some zoos got their start specifically on conservation messages you know but yes times have changed things that we have evolved in this field right we are learning more and more every day now it, it's it's tough to try and change everyone's minds but when there are places that exist that are, you know, pay to play, you know, cub petting, all that kind of stuff. When those places exist, everyone just assumes every place is going to be like that. Yeah. They don't really realize all the conservation work that a lot of zoos are doing all across the world. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's insane. Like, and, and I feel bad for, for marine mammal trainers because you guys work so hard with those, with those animals. And just because, you know, the animals bigger, and, you know, in the wild, they would have an, an ocean to swim in, right? They just assume the animal's not being cared for because they don't have that ocean to swim in, mm -hmm. you know? And that's, there's so much that goes into, into that deeply. And then when, when it comes to that, I ask, you know, what is an animal doing in the wild? You know, what are they doing, right? Like, I'll ask this to people, like, you know, I'll, what are they doing? Looking for food, water, maybe a mate, trying to protect themselves, get away from predators, things like that, right? And then all of those things that I name are provided for, you know, like, like, like for the animal, like they don't have to, some animals travel miles because they have to, not because they want to, but they have to, to survive. Right. So I try to explain that to people and they're like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. Right. So their needs are cared for. They're safe. They're happy. They're like, like a cat, a big cat was like a tiger will sleep 16 to 20 hours a day. Right. And people see that in the zoo. They go, oh, it's just being lazy. It's boring. He's bored. He's he or she is bored all of a sudden because he's sleeping. You know, and that that's 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 awful <laughs> because that's what the cat will be doing in the wild. But like you said, media portrays all like these animals doing doing things when in reality, that animal it's like the time that gets recorded is probably the one hour in the day it's active. And also you have to think about just because an animal does something in the wild, does that mean they enjoy doing it? Like I exactly. always talk about um, penguins in um, it's so cold. It's so yeah. wild. <laughs> they have to travel 
so far just to get to the ocean to get fish to then travel back to then feed their mate yes. and feed their chick and then hold the egg and it sounds <laughs> do they want like, to do that <laughs> it sounds like hell right. and like if we could ask the penguins if we could give them the choice and say do you want to keep doing this or do you want to come with us and you can do all of those things but we're going to make it a hundred times easier for you to do all of that what would they choose right Exactly. They make it. They they would take the easier route. But but just just again to preface this, I'm sure you have the you have the right audience for this. But make sure everyone hears that. Again, we're not taking these animals from the wild. Oh no, of course. Okay, just make sure make sure you say that. <laughs> this is this is in my fictional world where we could ask the animals right. and they could reply to us and tell us what they wanted. Um, right. But yeah, and <laughs> building further on that, you know, zoological facilities, in my opinion, have never been more important because of the state of the natural environment. And I know that you are so passionate about spreading that message as well. So what do zoological facilities mean to you in the modern day? And where do you want it to go? Well, they mean a lot to me because they are the the connection for the average everyday person and visitor to make a connection with animals. They are the, the link all the species in the zoos, there are ambassadors for their wild counterparts because most of these people are not going to go to Africa, Asia, Australia, wherever, South America. They're not, most of these people, most people in the world won't ever get a chance to see these animals in the wild. Most people won't get a chance to experience a, a, a African safari and see elephants out in the wild, you know? So seeing the animals, smelling them, hearing their sounds up close in the zoo gives them that connection and that creates that that you know empathy for for wildlife and realize how what they're going through learning an animal's name creates such a connection with people it's so important for them just to know the animal has a name you know like i don't know like you have a i don't know you have a rhino named I don't know, Henry, you know, like, oh, well, Rhino's name is Henry. He's like a person, you know, but not like a person. They don't make that connection. But you know what I mean? That's that's they are so important to the survival of many species and conservation acts all over the world and creating that bond and connection for guests. They are I, I find them extremely important. And that's why I like to visit zoos around the nation and, and showcase what each one is doing. because They're all unique. They're all different they're all special yeah you know yeah I completely agree and you know I think you're doing a wonderful job of spreading that message and I don't think you need to worry at all about not reaching enough people or not being able to use your voice enough because honestly if you can reach one more person who then goes off and makes a difference or tells another person who then tells two who then tells five you know behind the scenes even if you might not notice it that that message is getting heard um and hopefully, you know, by all of my listeners today as well. And if they want to hear a little bit more from you, uh, let them, where can they find you? They can find me on every social media app at JungleJordan23 on all the apps, um, including TikTok. That's one of my more newer ones. That one's, uh, you know, I feel like as a millennial, I, I have a weird space on there. I might be a little too old, but um, um, I will tell you, though, the YouTube channel is kind of kind of dead. So don't don't really go to YouTube. <laughs> It's, it's kind of dead. I, I had to make a new one and it was a whole issue. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to learn more from Jordan, then please go ahead and check all of that out. And thank you so much for joining me today. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Hazel. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please do not forget to like, rate, and subscribe, and I will catch you guys next week.